Are you down with TTP or having issues with gump and a wet axilla? Maybe it's time to talk about pecs, baby. I'm Amit Power. Oh, you don't think your patient needs blocks for mastectomy? Bless your heart. We've got news for you. I'm Jeff Gadsden, and this is Block It Like It's Hot. Hey, Amit. We're back for more. Episode 6. How you been, man? Uh, listen, I've been great. I, I mean, I guess time must be flying when you're having fun. How do we get to 6 already? Totally. Um, I've been pretty good. Um, I, I reckon, you know what? I've been thinking a lot about chuff levels. You've kind of taken over my life with this chuff level thing. And I reckon <laughs> I've been rocking... A steady eight over the last two weeks. Ooh, that's, a, that's, a that's good. Pretty good place to be averaging, right? Have you charted it? Um, no, no. That that's you know we're trying to we're trying to save paper, uh, and so I don't want to waste paper, and I haven't got enough whiteboards to access that. But maybe um, when we get our new electronic patient record system, which is we, I just come back from some training from, uh, maybe I can ask them to add in a chuff chart in the block oh area. God. How about that? That would be great, right? Yeah. Epic, if you're listening, add a chuff chart. Uh, do you know, I think there's something in that. And, and then maybe we could correlate chuff levels with block success and patient-reported outcome measures. Listen, I'm going off tangent here, but I'll tell you what. You know, <laughs> you, you asked me about um, how I've been. I've started to get a little bit nervous. I'll tell you why I'm getting nervous is because we've got a couple of meetings coming up. So we've got Azra Spring uh, in Hollywood, Miami. Uh, we've got uh, RUK in Newcastle in the UK. And I'm doing a virtual uh, talk for the ANSCA meeting in Dan Ander. And I haven't written any of my talks yet and i'm starting to get nervous there's an accent again no no that wasn't that was just the way i speak man um so, so I'm, i haven't written my talk so i'm getting nervous but apart from that i'm excited are, are you all ready for for your meetings you must have written your talks oh so what you're saying is you haven't written your pro con debate yet against yours truly yeah yeah so the pro con debate against you don't even bother <laughs> Just concede. I was hoping I was gonna I was gonna extract some uh, some some nuggets from you to incorporate in the procon during the during the process of recording this podcast. Uh-huh. That's what I was hoping for. Okay, guys, in case you're wondering what we're talking about, Jeff and I are um, have a date on the stage at RUK fourth and fifth of May this year. We've got a procon debate um, about the use of nerve stimulation for regional anesthesia. I'm just gonna leave it there. Check out the program and you'll see who's talking about which side. But yeah. I'm a bit nervous about that. <laughs> it's going to be a great meeting. I can't. I can't wait. No, absolutely. Yeah. And I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what else I've done. Uh, just to round off the what I've been up to. Um, I I got back uh, on Sunday. We had a whole day of clothes shopping with my three ladies. That's my wife <laughs> and my two girls. Okay. And I was getting dragged around the shops. I mean, I tell you what. I lead a glamorous lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the kind of shops you go to. I don't really want to disclose them because we're not getting sponsorship. Really. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's true. But is there a like what I call the husband chair where you can like sit down, nice, nice, comfy chair, sit back, take, pull your phone out, just say, "I'll be right here, honey." Collect me on the way out. Well, so usually, I that's the first thing I look for. But then they're like, "Oh no, but we want you to. Can you come and have a look at this? Or what do you think about this?" So actually, I should be grateful that my wife and my daughters care what I think. Um, unfortunately, we're now getting to the stage when most of the time I'm saying no I don't like it and they don't listen to me anyway so you know that's kind of I'm, I'm kind of marginalized but no it's all good it's all good this is um, I, I'm very blessed to have a, a, a beautiful wife and lovely daughters oh, and, yeah, for uh, sure you know it's it's all good man it's all good listen how have you been buddy I've, I've told you a lot about what I've been up to tell me what you've been up to oh it's, it's been good good couple of weeks um Got some skiing in there, actually, uh-huh. which is nice. Skiing? Yeah. Oh, my skiing goodness. Skiing with the family out to uh, Colorado. That was fun. Lots, lots, and Amazing. lots of snow. Nobody got injured. <laughs> That's always how we mark success. Yeah, yeah. Come, come back with all bones intact. No no blocking opportunities for broken bones. Yeah. No. <laughs> but yeah, man, it's been good. Hey, we've had some great questions and interaction online. Shall we do some shout outs? For show, bro. <laughs> First of all, I've got to give a shout out to one of our Australian uh, listeners. And uh, we got a lot of shout outs from the Australian guys. They've been really engaging. So this is Andrew Lovett. Oh, yeah. Now, now Andrew, first of all, he commented on our first episode. He said his favorite Disney princess is somewhere between Moana and Raya, one of the new princesses. And so that was cool. Wait, who's Raya? Did I miss you, that? You've not heard of Raya? No. Oh my goodness. Yeah, Raya, that she's like a dragon princess Ooh. type thing. I've okay. seen it. I've, se- I've seen it. That, you've not heard of Raya? You've got, you got to do some homework. Okay. <laughs> I'm still back on Little Mermaid. <laughs> 
that's how much I've caught up. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, well, let's let's put that to one side. But you know, Andrew didn't stop his engagement there. He's got some more stuff for us. He, you know, Andrew's daughter Genevieve has got a joke for us. Are you ready for this? Hit me. Why don't you trust atoms? Uh, why? Because they make up everything. Come on, Genevieve. Oh, I oh, love it. Genevieve, nice. <laughs> nice one. Fist bump for Genevieve. <laughs> Definitely a fist bump for Je- Genevieve. Andrew also suggested that we talk about two subjects. Number one was nerve injury. Uh, and number two was additives. And I think we're probably going to have that covered, right? For sure. Yeah, that's going to be great. Both of those. So, Jeff, have you got any shout outs? Yeah, well, so funny you say that. Um, as one of our friends from Twitter, Bob Funicutter, says... Quote, even though he's not a regionalist, he still enjoys a good axillary block, but he does fear the complications, especially nerve damage. So he wants us to discuss avoidance, detection, and management of nerve damage. That fits in with what Andrew said as well. So it's a biggie. It's a good, it's a good topic. So we'll, we'll definitely cover that. You know what? On the subject of jokes, I've just whilst um, we were thinking about these, whilst I was listening to, you, I was thinking about these jokes that we got to tell. So first of all, this is the joke that I tell to all of my patients who are having a weight breast surgery. Okay, are you ready for this? <laughs> okay. Okay. Why is there no aspirin in the jungle? Don't know aspirin in the jungle because the paracetamol. Paracetamol, paracetamol, acetaminophen. Oh, oh. oh, that's that's not bad. That's but not I don't bad. know if that if that works transatlantically. Do you guys know what paracetamol is? I know you do, but do you think that will? I, I yeah, it's uh, it might be lost in some people. Okay, well in that case, is, I, I've yeah. got another one. I've got <laughs> another one. This is the other joke I tell when that if that one doesn't go down so well. Why did why did the <laughs> banana go to the hospital? Because it wasn't peeling well. Oh God. So how how deep is your joke list when you have an awake patient? Like I, I, I'm imagining, <laughs> imagining that you get to these two and there's still some like. Uh... See the this, the problem is do you not remember what my New Year's resolution was? My New Year's resolution was to get better at remembering some dungeons. Oh, remember jokes. That's because That's right. these are the only two that I can remember. Now the beauty of using a tiny bit of propofol sedation, even if it's like five mils an hour, is that patients don't remember laughing to these jokes so i can recycle these same two jokes the whole way through the list and every time i get a different reaction it's brilliant throughout the case <laughs> that's amazing yeah i find that that with just a little bit of propofol i am at my most charming definitely yeah definitely patients patients love me i just yeah they laugh at everything i say well speaking of jokes i my, my bartender son yes who's 10 Holt has has a joke and he wants to share it with you. Would that be okay if Holt told a joke? I, I cannot believe it. Holt, come and join us. Uh, I want to hear this joke. Let's, let's hear what you got. <laughs> okay. All right. Here's Holt. Hi, Amit. Hey, Holt. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. I want to hear this joke. I want to hear this joke. What's the difference between a piano, tuna, and glue? What is the difference between a tuna, a piano, and glue? I don't know, Holt. Tell me what is the difference between a tuna, a piano, and glue? You can tune a piano, but you can't piano a tuna. Oh, God. That is that is terrible and very, very deserving of this podcast. But what what's, what about the glue, though? I knew you'd get stuck there. Oh, no, a double whammy? That is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Thank you, Holt. Now, off to bed. Off to bed. Okay, bye. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, Amit. So uh, with, that, with that out of the way, what do we... Uh, have for our listeners today. Well, you know what, Jeff? Um, we're going to talk about a subject that is very close to my heart, and that is, of course, regional anesthesia for breast surgery. I have been doing regional anesthesia for breast surgery for about 14 years. Uh, and before we get into the nuts and bolts of this, I really want to give a shout out to some of my early inspirations in this area. Uh, I've got Dr. Rafa Blanco and Teresa Paris, uh, two of the first people to describe the PEX block, and um, both of them I work very closely with. Rafa was my mentor. Um, so I want to Big big shout out to them. John McDonnell, who um, I got a lot of tips and he taught me how to do paravertebral blocks. And of course, Dr. Manoj Kamarka. So those are the four breast inspirations that I have. Um, and I just want to give a shout out to them before we get into it. Oh, this is going to be fun. Okay, let's do this. Okay, so Jeff, you know, when I first started uh, as a consultant anesthetist, I worked with some breast surgeons who said, breast surgery isn't painful. I'm cutting the nerves. So, you know, don't worry about doing these flashy blocks. Do you have any experience of that? And how do you deal with that? <laughs> I do. It's funny you say that. I had a I had a surgeon in New York. You know, she just started as, as faculty, just finished fellowship. 
so fairly fairly green and um, you know introducing myself and saying oh, this is my plan for for your patient this morning we're gonna do the block and then we'll and she goes oh whoa, whoa, that's okay I don't I don't need a block for this patient and I was like what what uh, and she goes oh no no because breast surgery doesn't hurt because I cut the nerves and jaw on the floor I didn't know how to respond to that if that occurred down here in the south we would have said bless her heart <laughs> As, do, you know, do, do you know what that means do you know the implication of uh, bless, someone saying bless your it's heart like bless the heart you know she doesn't know any better kind of thing or uh, I, I don't know what does that mean bless your heart is basically uh the middle finger <gasps> oh it's no like, i did yeah, not know that yeah. okay it's like a very polite southern way of saying Oh, dear. shove off. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've got to be careful. I do sometimes say bless. I've got to be careful with them. Make sure they say anything from the South. Okay. That's, it's context dependent. Yeah, for sure. We see the thing. Yeah, I, so clearly, that's not something that just happens on one, you know, one part of the world. So I, I've heard that in the, in various hospitals in the UK. But the thing is, you know, breast surgery um, has many sort of complex inputs of pain, right? Because this is the first time I learned about the petrol nerves, which I'd never even thought of before. And I'd always thought about just the intercostal nerves. And I kind of focused my attention on the lateral cutaneous branches of the intercostal nerves. And I kept forgetting that there are anterior cutaneous branches that come out parasternally. And that's important for a later part of the discussion. Yeah. I remember some of my early slides on breast surgery. I used to talk about the lateral and anterior cutaneous branches. I used to talk about the supraclavicular nerves from the cervical plexus, uh, you know, the superior part of the chest wall, which very rarely form part of of skin innovation. Then I used to talk about the thoracodorsal, the long thoracic, um, uh, intercostal brachial. But, you know, what's important, if if we were trying to think about what are the important nerves to think about when, when we're performing these blocks for, for breast surgery what are the important nerves to think about so i mean i think part of this has to start with what are your goals for your blocks and if your goal is awake breast surgery i'm making sparkling conversation with the patient during their procedure which i've done yes in in cases where patients tell me there's no way i want to be sedated yep. I, I hate that feeling i don't want fentanyl you know we can do that, but that requires, you know, the full Monty of blocks or, or some combination that gets everything. But that's a diff- that's a different level, right? That's a different level. Yeah, for sure. And we don't do that very no. often, but uh, usually they're either getting decent propofol sedation, your, your GAWA, yeah. if you yeah. would, or an LMA or, you know, some sort of airway device. So that becomes a different threshold for success. And I can omit some of those or the surgeon can do the bit of infiltration depending on how important I think those are. So do you, do you have a similar sort of framework that you yeah i do i mean I, I, you know before i have to i have to be, be honest if i look at what happened during my training when i first started i learned paravertebral blocks i did paravertebral blocks for as many patients as i could um and i have to be honest the quality of pain relief i got in that one period of about it's about about a year and a half when i was doing you know all the patients having breast cancer surgery i did paravertebral blocks for those patients because i felt i could justify it and um, but also because i wanted to get you know decent results those patients got amazing analgesia and that was the the one it's the king of blocks it's the king of blocks and and absolutely and i got the the most cards and thank you letters and boxes of chocolate that i've ever got in my career in that one year and a half that i was doing paravertebral blocks for everybody but then of course in the wait, wait, you get you get boxes of chocolate from patients yeah if we do a good job it's not the norm um but that's what i'm saying in that maybe if i had maybe if i had your smooth talking ways i could get some <laughs> some more chocolate okay that's a new goal new goal for 2023 i even got a pair of socks once backflip I did get a pair of socks socks so- you're, you're getting clothing and chocolate what is it is it like always valentine's day when it, when you're at power well it feels like that sometimes but you know what <laughs> but you know, but the truth is i'm I, hashtag jealous yeah well listen man it's, it goes both ways it goes both ways but but then but then you know in the uk we don't routinely not in all hospitals have a block room model so one now has to be a little bit sensible when so now when i'm planning what type of uh, regional anesthetic i'm going to give the patient depends upon patient factors um it depends on what yep. their expectations are their comorbidities the degree of tissue d- disruption because you know if they're doing yep. a lumpectomy versus a mastectomy they will have a different pain trajectory or different pain profile if they're doing a mastectomy and that's it or a mastectomy and just an isolated sentinel lymph node biopsy that's different from a mastectomy and an auxiliary uh, node dissection. And also, you've got to add the implant reconstruction component onto that. So it gets a bit more complex. And even with implant reconstruction, 
they might do a pre-pectoral or a sub-pectoral implant reconstruction. So sure. yeah. we kind of got to understand yeah. that what we're dealing with before we make those decisions, I think. And we're not really even talking about, we're talking about oncologic surgery yeah. for the most part. Yeah. But there's also cosmetic surgery that, that shares a lot of the same, obviously, principles. Yeah, I mean, so we... We very rarely, well, we don't do pure cosmetic surgery in the National Health Service. Of course, that happens a lot in the private sector here. But there may be some patients who have had um, ipsilateral mastectomy and implant reconstruction, and we offer symmetrization um, procedures on the NHS where we do something to the other side to match it, and that might be a breast reduction or a, or a breast augmentation. Wait, what, what was that word? Symmetrization. Okay, I looking up symmetrization. I mean, it's I, I <laughs> you've not you've not heard that. I, I mean, I hope. Listen, oh my goodness, don't tell me I've been making up words. I'm really good at making up words, by the way. Um, and in my <laughs> head, they make sense. No, it sounds it sounds impressive. <laughs> I want to be the director of symmetrization. Well, we do symmetri- we do that thing contralateral symmetrization. <laughs> is is that a word? No, I get it. I I, I, I get what you, no, symmetry. Yeah, I know. I, I you said it. I knew exactly. What Holy you moly! I hope I haven't made up a but word. But I never. I've oh never heard that gosh, word. Okay. No, it's perfect. I love it. I'm going to Google this as soon as I get off this. In fact, I might Google it now. No, wait. I won't. Okay. Okay. Well, listen. So, so if you know, go. So we. So I talked about pain trajectory, and I think. There are some operations, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here. There are some operations where they make a small uh, incision. They remove, for example, very occasionally we'll do an isolated sentinel lymph node biopsy. Now, in those cases, they make a small incision over the axilla. They use a gamma probe or sometimes dye to find one lymph node, and then they close things up. Now, I don't think you can justify, in my opinion, doing a block for that, whereas actually... The surgeon can put in local anesthetic and it's going to hurt for like 24 hours and they can manage with local infiltration yeah. and normal oral multimodals afterwards, right? So that's one thing. Yeah, totally agree. The only time when I have used regional anesthesia is if the patient has said that they don't want to have a general anesthetic. And actually then I've done um, a pectoserratus and, or serratus anterior plane block. I've got the surgeon to mark where they're going to be making their incision. I just infiltrate the incision with local anesthetic and essentially you can have, they can have that surgery without going to sleep. So that would be the only time when I would do regional anesthesia for the smaller cases. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, what about in the old days? In the old days, didn't they used to do thoracic epidurals for everyone? <laughs> How old do you think I am? No, no. I mean, I don't. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm taking the Mickey here because actually, if I'm being honest, um, during my training, which was, and I was a trainee from say 2002 to 2009 in anesthesia, I never saw anybody do blocks for breast surgery. Can you believe that? I, I literally didn't. I learned as a consultant because they weren't doing it. I understand right. that okay. paravertebrals landmark guided paravertebrals were popular in the old days and maybe for some cases where there was high risk they might have attempted to do an epidural if a paravertebral wasn't in their skill set but actually during my training i never saw anything how about you uh a bit a bit of variety but i have as you know i was fortunate to train at both university of toronto and the, at nysora in new york so that was a very very block forward uh-huh. as it were and so paravertebral was the was the default however we were doing them landmark based at the time mm. so we'd go in you'd hit the transverse process boom grab the needle a centimeter out come back angle slightly cut out and, and then advance until your fingers hit the skin and the assumption was you'd be a centimeter past the tp and hopefully in the right place and so and you know for the majority of the time they worked that does give me the heebie-jeebies though because heebie as we've seen heebie-jeebies it's heebie-jeebie central. Yeah, because you don't know. You've got no idea. You might be too far. And actually, what you think you're hitting, when you think you're hitting transverse process, actually could be the superior aspects of the of the rib, right? So yeah. there's a lot of assumptions there. And that does yeah, that yeah. make me feel a bit nervous. Totally. And, and not to mention, like, the parts, you know, you get a fairly deep back, and you're you're pushing in, you're going in, you're going in, and, and wait, maybe I'm, am I between two, oh, two levels, and I'm just going to go right into the soft tissue. And uh, not confidence inspiring. But then when it did work, and, and you managed to nail each transit process it was it was a good feeling high fives all around but in in those days would you have done multiple level landmark guided paravertebral blocks for, for a mastectomy say mostly yeah, yeah we were yeah. mostly doing every level so it's like giving yourself five five chances or six chances yeah. for a pneumothorax right well I, I, it's interesting you bring this up the five versus six because i do t2 three four five six uh-huh. is that what you do well this is I'm happy you brought this up. So there was a really nice uh, paper that was written by uh, Vishal Upple and colleagues, and actually that 
I was already doing this practice, but it kind of made me feel a little bit more justified for it. So if I'm doing an analgesic block, which I do, which I cite prior to a general anesthetic, I do a single level paravertebral block for mastectomy and you know this paper by Vishal and his team showed that a single level versus multi-level they actually got a similar level of dermatomal involvement and I remember there were some old papers that were looking at um, nerve stimulator guided paravertebral blocks and they talked about how a single level versus multi-level you know there was no difference so based upon that I've always done a single level for analgesia I used to do a single level combined with some of the fascial plane blocks for awake surgery but every now and then would come across a patient where the quality of anesthesia wasn't perfect so now for awake surgery I do multiple levels but I don't do as many levels as you I probably do between three to four levels maximum for awake surgery hmm. you know it's interesting to see how you know different approaches but we'll probably get into that in a second so I think for single level uh, I do a single level for analgesia but you would still do multiple levels for analgesia would you well or, or are you doing your mac cases as part of this no so to be fair if it's if it's just my hands and i've i'm by myself which isn't very often and it's and i'm and i know i'm going to put the patient to sleep anyway so this is an analgesic block i might do two i'll do two levels so i'll do like t3 and t5 okay but if it's uh you know back to mfb we want that maximum fellow benefit so five chances to to get procedures (laughs) in there so but i wanted what i wanted to talk about too is other levels so there are i'm aware of people that that go after T1. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on that? So actually, um, so I have done this. Uh, and so I have, when I'm doing, a, when I've got a patient who's having an auxiliary node dissection, so they're going deep into the axilla and they're going to be going to that territory, which is intercostal brachial, medial cutaneous nerve of the arm, all of that sort of area and the, involving the pectoral nerves. I generally add in a pecto serratus or an, uh, an interpectoral nerve block. And some of my colleagues, I think Stuart Grant is one of them, and Iwana Kostash is another, um, they both said, well, why don't you just do a T1, a T2 paravertebral because you'll get high up and you'll get all, the, you'll get all of the, the, the innovation that you require if you get that high. Number one, I don't think it's always that easy to identify and perform a block that high for sure it very much depends on the patient's uh, body habitus and actually i think sometimes those high blocks can be tricky and you might be making things more complicated than you need to and actually sometimes even though i've done that I still don't get complete anesthesia of the axilla because the axilla is a tough area to anesthetize so I would say if I was doing it for analgesia I don't think it's not something I do how about you no same and I you know as I thought more and more about this as a young as a young consultant back in the old days um, you know, think about the innervation of the. That sounded like another character from Mary Poppins, like the guys that were in the <laughs> bank. Yeah. Anyway, That's sorry. Right. <laughs> oh, it's a jolly holiday. With... <laughs> so, as an old consult, as a as you were saying, as a young consultant, as a yeah, in the beginning, right, beginning to think about like the innervation of the axilla, and so mm. you know, my understanding is that's that's T two and T three. Yeah, and I and so and then I get trainees coming up and say, well, I want to do a T one, two, three, four, five, six for paravertebral. I said, well, tell me where C five innervates, and they point to sort of their shoulder. Yeah. And then, where does C six go? And then C seven, and where does C eight? And they're now they're, they're at the pinky. And I said, where does T one innervate? And they sort of point to their you know medial forearm. And I said, and how about T two? And then they go up to intercostal brachial area and axilla. And so they begin to realize, oh, yeah, T1 is a brachial plexus nerve mm-hmm. that innervates the upper limb. It's not a chest nerve. And if you look at, and then we pull out the atlas of dermatomes and just go, see, here's your neck, supraclavicular nerves, C3, C4, and then it jumps to T2 yep. Uh, yep. just below yep. the clavicle. So when you're doing a, a T1 nerve root block, you're helping that patient have forearm anesthesia yeah, yeah. not necessarily anything to do with breast or or axilla so now i will admit i have seen and this is interesting if anybody has any thoughts on this i didn't mean to bring this up today but it's something that <laughs> rattles around in my brain sometimes i've seen other dermatomal charts that include t1 right yes. at, at about the clavicle but i don't think that that so maybe there's some variation there I've never found it to be important. We we wrote a paper very recently on this for awake uh, breast surgery and BJ education. And I have to be honest, getting the diagram for that right was so complicated 
Because if you consult multiple references, multiple anatomical references, there is no consistency into how they demonstrate the dermatomal innovation. And I've seen some really bizarre ones to some that kind of vary very slightly. So, I mean, and we all know the human body varies anyway, but you're right. I haven't seen T1 demonstrated on the chest, uh, as you said, that you may see in some in some textbooks. Okay, so we agree that paravertebral is gold standard, probably, yep. right? Yeah. Um, for, for unilateral chest surgery or even bilateral chest surgery yep. for, that may, for that point. Yes. How important is it to add the pex blocks, the interpectoral pectoserratus? Well, okay, and we're, we're, you know, people will hopefully notice that we're intentionally using the preferred terminology, although I saw a slide on Twitter today from the inventor of the PEX, but Raf Blanco still, Blanco still talking about PEC 1 and PEC 2 because it's kind of his baby. But yes, um, so... Do you want my hot take on that? Okay, let's go. I am a PEX. It'll always be PEX to me. It's like I'm, I'm Rafa and I are in this romance movie and like always, always to call it PEX for you. Um, <laughs> I... <laughs> I just okay, easier. but I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there. Listen, I didn't want to get into this pectoserratus. I didn't want to go there because we're gonna have a whole podcast on nomenclature. <laughs> but hold on, the thing that I spent most of my early consultant career doing is saying to people, they were like, "Did you do like a pex one or did you do a pex two? And I was like, "No, no, guys, a pex two involves the pex one injection plus the second endpoint they're like yeah i know but did you do a pex one or a pex two and i was like oh no no no. a pex two is a pex one and so i spent my and then you know when people write papers on it i don't know whether when they say they did a pex block what they did so actually i found i i found that element confusing and actually i think when he did the description he initially described the interpectoral injection and said this is the pex block and when he modified it and actually made the modified pex block he called it the pex 2 but he definitely described it as two endpoints and for that reason alone i think it's worthwhile separating them and of course just because there are two endpoints doesn't necessarily mean the block should be linked because there may be some indications when you don't need to do the interpectoral. Totally agree. Uh, yeah. But when we talk about PEX2, we bring them all together and that's probably confusing. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and I think that, uh, I think what's, if what's happened in my mind, and I think a lot of people's minds, maybe at least on this side of the, of the ocean, is that um, PEX1 equals blockade of the pectoral nerves. PEX2 is the lateral cutaneous branches yeah. of 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. So uh, I'm fully admitting that when Rafa described it, it was both for yeah. that second one. But anyway, so let's talk about the, these blocks. So I, so I was taught these as an alternative to performing paravertebral blocks. So when Rafa told me about them, just ahead of publishing about them, I started using these for patients having more minor surgery. So as an alternative to paravertebral blocks. And, you know, my analgesic outcomes were definitely not as good as paravertebral in my hand. But it's interesting because I always considered them as being one entity. So I do the interpectoral, I do the pectoserratus, and I consider it as one entity. And then there was a really interesting, daring discourse. I believe it was Carlo Franco who, who wrote this, talking about nomenclature again and saying, well, actually, we don't need to do pectoral nerve blocks for analgesia. They're playing no role. But I would say, um, I, I don't agree with that. Because I've seen patients who having a weight breast surgery and they're doing diathermy on the chest wall, um, you know, they're buzzing pec major. Yeah. The patient feels no susceptive inputs. They feel something. So you know, sure. if they're innovated by the pectoral nerves, I think they have a role. But so I, I think they're a I think they're a good alternative, but I don't think they're as good. And I think I made a really big mistake when I first started doing these blocks, is I didn't necessarily pay attention to where the incision was. And if the surgical incision crossed I'm going to make up another phrase now. Cross the mid nippleary line, so so basically was <laughs> was medial to the nipple, was medial to the nipple. Therefore, in the territory of the anterior cutaneous branches of the intercostal nerves, clearly a block that targets the lateral cutaneous branches is not going to be sufficient. So I sometimes find it lacking, but that was my poor understanding of when to use certain blocks because I hadn't heard of the alternative blocks to help that. Okay, so what I'm hearing from you is paravertebral, and then if they're going to do pectoral work, either bovine down onto the pec muscle or placing a submuscular implant or tissue expander, you'll add a interpectoral, yep. aka PEX1. Yep. Is that fair? 
that is fair. That is fair. So you're, so you're no longer using pectoral and that's exactly what we do too. Yeah. Where I what I do. Yeah. Paravertebral to me gold standard. And if there's pectoral work to be done, I think a pex one solves that issue. So now what about um, if either you don't think the risk of doing a paravertebral is justified, uh, or um, you don't think maybe the surgery requires something so dense, or there may be some other reason why you'd, you're not prepared to perform a block at the back. What alternatives? We talked about pex blocks, but you know what can we add in, Jeff, to cover the medial chest wall innovation? So yeah, different ways to skin that cat. You can do just infiltration. I've taken a, a 10 mil syringe of local anesthetic and just went yep. up the up the sternal you know border on that side just to get the cutaneous nerves uh surgeon can do it themselves his or yeah. herself as they're as they're dissecting down and by the way the same for the supraclavicular nerve that comes yes. over the clavicle my old recipe was pvb yeah and then i did a little l shape across the clavicle mm-hmm. and then down along the sternal border uh with subcutaneous local to cover those the cutaneous branches that was before i really understood about pectoral nerves but yeah but or you could do a a fancy parasternal intercostal block like the ttp or the pifb i just like to call them parasternal blocks but well, so, and again this this is an output of the of the other nomenclature work that's come up that we did for the azra ezra work uh, for regional anesthesia and pain medicine right because there used to be the parasternal intercost no petro intercostal fascial plane block the fact that i can't even remember what the acronym stands for tells you what the problem is it was one of the most awkward acronyms the pifb yeah. Yeah, pifba versus the tatapuba versus the transversus thoracis plane block. <laughs> Come on, guys. Can we up our acronym game here? And transversus thoracis muscle was a muscle I didn't know about until I started reading about this stuff. And actually, that's the medial component of the, um, the innermost intercostal muscle, right? So actually, that block has created a little bit of a division amongst uh, some of our regional anesthesia friends. There are some people that like to go deep uh, and do these TTPB, but right in that deep plane between the internal intercostal membrane or muscle and the uh, and the transversus thoracis muscle, deep to that is the internal mammary arteries, right? So why would you take yeah. a needle down that low? It's a pretty good-sized artery. Yeah. I think um, the arguments I've heard, and I've, I've done both, yeah. You're going to find this surprising, but I uh, I had a TTP done on myself. Oh, my. Again, goodness. when I was curious about, well, we were actually leading up to do a study uh, in yeah. patients. We suddenly, as we're writing the IRB, we're like, wait, do we need one block at sort of 3-4? Or is that going to cover it all? Is mm-hmm. it going to spread up and down, up to the manubrium and then down to the xiphoid so we did a little pilot experiment and figured out that actually two well at least in me two blocks i mean it's because of my massive pecs that's what was <laughs> preventing the spread but two, two blocks on each side did a much better job of covering than one at one single sort of in the middle block um, but that was a ttp oh yeah so the argument i've heard about ttp versus the deep versus the shallow yes better spread with the deep because there's less sort of compressive intermuscular force i have not found that especially because i do two blocks on each mm-hmm. side so, so my take on that so again in case people are wondering what on earth are they talking about we're talking about blocking the anterior cutaneous branches of the intercostal nerves that come off uh, from the sternum either side of the sternum depending upon which side you're you're looking at um and i have found the superficial parasternal intercostal block which is between pec major and intercostal muscles i found that safer to teach but it doesn't necessarily always present the way it's shown in videos and textbooks so in an ideal world you'd pass your needle through skin subcutaneous tissue through the pec major you'd find that plane between pec major and intercostals near the ribs or the costal cartilages depending upon how medial you're doing the block you inject local anesthetic and you get multi-level spread in reality we find that we have to do at least two separate injections to get it to spread. Sometimes you get it to beautifully run over the over the costal cartilage or the rib, but not always. Um, and I just, you know, I don't teach my trainees to do the TTPB or the deep parasternal intercostal plane block because I'm doing a breast list, for, uh, for goodness sake, guys, and I don't want to be calling any cardiac surgeons in. So that's kind of my rationale behind exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, if, if I'm doing a sternotomy, that's different. Yeah. But... You know, doing breast surgery really involves skin, subcutaneous, and breast tissue, which on that medial part can just be done with a subcutaneous injection. So now, listen, just uh, to to finish up the conversation on the uh, the fascial plane blocks. So we've got the anteromedial and the anterolateral fascial plane blocks. We we haven't talked about the serratus anterior plane block. Now, how is this different from the pectoserratus? Because <laughs> age old question. Yeah. 
is it it's kind of the same plane really it's the same thing man yeah it's the same thing i i mean the way i try to break this down for trainees and at workshops is that pex2 maybe a little more concentrated in the for breast like t2 to 6 whereas mm-hmm. serratus with bigger volume and maybe you're getting t2 to t9 ish yep. we usually use serratus for uh, rib fractures yeah, yeah. and or thoracoscopic stuff i'm going to give you my my secret now oh for a patient who's not having uh, a paravertebral block so if they're having a mastectomy not having a paravertebral block i do a superficial parasternal intercostal plane i do a serratus anterior plane and I might add in an interpectoral injection. So I don't do a pector serratus. I basically take the probe out laterally because I find mm. it's easier to find that plane because sometimes when you're trying to find a pector serratus plane or what would have been the, the previous PEX2, your needle can get lost in that in that fascia of the axilla. And actually you think you're opening up the plane over serratus, then you end up opening up this weird gump into all this fat. So actually I think, well, do you know what? I'm going to do a parasternal. And then I'm going to do interpectoral, and then I'll do the serratus laterally. So that's my secret when I can't do a paravertebral. I'm still stuck in the word gump. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 yeah. but I Again, totally agree. that's another word, yeah. You know, I, we, you and I should make a list of blocks, fascia plane blocks that open up beautifully, unzipper mm-hmm. like butter, yeah. and then there's ones that are tough. Serratus yeah. plane block, to me, always opens up nicely yeah. versus... Yeah pectoserratus yeah maybe not so nice so i think that's another good reason and the other thing is you're you're like out of the way of the breast itself yes. and i i get a bit talking about heebie-jeebies i don't like sticking a needle through a breast that i hear you especially if it's an oncologic indication and there's i'm worried about you know am i going to be seeding cancers uh, I ha- you know i have heard this I, my, my breast surgeons haven't been uncomfortable about this but i have heard people being worried about this uh before but it's yeah, something to think about. Maybe I'm just being extra cautious, but I, but for that reason, I do like the serratus because you can sort of just push uh, the soft tissue medially and then come down on the side of the chest wall. There is one thing we do have to talk about, Jeff, and that is the problem of the wet axilla. Have you heard about the wet axilla problem? Ugh, I hate a wet axilla. <laughs> so there, there. You know, I, I'm very fortunate in that the surgeons that I operate with have got used to have trained on me doing um, local anesthetic in the axilla and they say look this axilla looks wet it's a dermatist but actually they've got used to operating it and often they find it useful because as they're dissecting they track the local anesthetic and they can make sure they're going <laughs> in the right place but i have had some surgeons who said please don't put anything in the axilla number one it disrupts my landmarks my anatomy and number two I've had a complaint slash concern that it will affect their ability to stimulate the nerves with diathermy. So if they're doing an auxiliary node dissection and they want to use electrostimulation to identify the um, the long thoracic or the thoracodorsal nerves, they say that it interferes with that process. Uh, and in fact, you know, I've got videos showing the nerves bathed in local anesthetic, but when you do direct stimulation, it still works. But, you know, there there is a concern about the wet axilla. Yeah, I haven't heard it termed that quite that way, but no, um, I just made that up right now. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Wet axilla <laughs> sounds sounds icky, but yeah, the uh, no same thing. We have had to, when we get a new breast surgeon come on, and I'm discussing with her or him about what blocks they would like or any concerns they have. That frequently comes up, and yeah. I do have a surgeon that I don't do pex blocks for yeah. for that reason. Yeah. Well, this is, you know, it's, this is a collaborative approach, right? We've got to make sure we're all looking after the patient, but at the same time, yeah. we've got to work in harmony with, with the team. So everyone's got to be on board. Everyone's got to be on the same page. So, it's, you know, I, I believe it or not, even I compromise sometimes. PVB in harmony. <laughs> oh, my God. This is amazing. We need to come up with all these random songs and keep a list of them because that will contribute to our rap at the end of the show. <laughs> okay, so now... Just when you thought it was safe to escape ESP, power breakdown. <laughs> okay. So smashed, PVB, king of blocks. We got that. We're here for the breast. We've talked about fascial plane blocks. Does the erectus spiny plane block have a role in breast surgery? I have my opinion. I have a thought process about that, but I want to hear yours. I want to, so I want you to tell me about ESP and breast surgery. Then I want you to tell me about what you think about the crossover blocks, so the retrolaminar blocks. There's some other blocks at the back, the rhomboid intercostal subserratus blocks, and then the MTP slash ITP. So shoot over to you, and then I'll tell you what I think. Okay, ESP, not a bad plan B. 
if I wasn't excited for whatever reason about doing a PVB, or if you were a person that didn't want to do a PVB because it's just that's not in something that you're happy with or comfortable with, I think an ESP is a fine second option. Keeps the local back in the back. It's no wet axilla yeah. or you know inter interpectoral plane that they open yep. up and they go, what the heck is all this stuff in my plane? We've used it. We've had yep. good success actually on the times that we have used it. I think so. I think, but definitely a plan B block. And for those other ones you're talking about, I'm just going to lump them all into. Yeah. I'd call those plan C. Like yep. I just, why bother? I don't mean to disrespect the, the risk block or whatever yep. it is, but, but uh, I, I think choice A, PVB, choice B, a set of pectoral slash serratus anterior blocks that, uh-huh. you know, meet your needs. And if not that, ESP. I don't know. You okay? I want to hear your thoughts. Okay, so I, of course, like everybody else, when I heard about the erectus spinae plane block, I tried it for. I wouldn't say I tried it for everything, but I tried it for breast surgery because I wanted to see what it was like. So my first trial of using this, I did it preemptively. So in the same way that I would do a PEX block, I did an ESP block, and then gave them a general anaesthetic, and I was meh when it came to the results. So I was like, kind of, yeah, well, mm. you know, was it great? I don't know. Sometimes it was okay, sometimes it wasn't. When I had really good results was when I did it as a rescue block. So a patient maybe had no block uh, or had a, a pex block or interpectoral pectus for surgery and in recovery or in the PACU was in pain. So in those situations, I when I used um, an ESP as a rescue block, Boy, oh boy, I was really impressed. In the similar way that you'd be impressed if you use it for um, for rib fractures and you got that sort of relatively early onset. Now, some of that, of course, could be placebo effect. I, you know, I'm not I'm not in denial about that. But when I used it in that manner, it worked well. And it may have had something to do with the fact that the tissue damage or the you know the nervous system was already wound up. I don't know. It seemed to work well in those circumstances. I I don't doubt that actually. I think it's really interesting and. That supports an observation that I've always had, which is if you do a block for a patient prior to surgery, and it's not a complete block, right? They wake up in the PACU, they're having some pain, and that pain is aggravating, and it's going to be, I'm going to call that a five or, you know, know, mid-range pain. But you want to try, you want to try to explain to the patient, you don't know what you're not feeling because I've blocked... 85% of the rest of those nerves, if you only knew. And so I think the delta between what they were feeling and the relief they feel from your, let's call it incomplete ESP or maybe not quite as good ESP is so much, is so appreciable they uh, they they love well, it. I, th- I think that's right. In fact, somebody should probably do a study whereby they um, they put a catheter in uh, preemptively, but don't put anything down it, or or put you know randomized controlled trial when they put placebo versus drug, and then see what happens when they bolus the catheter in PACU. And I bet you'll find that's when it has a role. I'm I'm sure it will. So funny, we actually did that study not for ESP. But we did it for. For uh, femoral. Actually, I know that study. I read that study. Yeah, totally patients that got the adductor yeah. canal uh, block and all the all the usual stuff we do. Yes, I know that study. And it was it was sort of in response to is adductor canal the same as a femoral? Well, if it is, if it is the same, then a supplemental femoral on top of it shouldn't yeah. do anything, yeah. right? So we did the randomized patients in the PACU to get femoral or sham femoral, and there was a huge <laughs> there was a huge difference, yeah, as you might expect. Absolutely. So, so there may well be something in that. You know, I don't know if anyone, if anyone's planning on doing that, I'd be, I'd be really interested to hear about that. Uh, and I, so what I have done. So when I was disappointed with my preemptive, preoperative um, ESP, I, I decided to modify, and that's why I do the supercharged ESP. So I do the ESP block, and at one level. I kind of make an extra hole. I do I do that pepper potting, but it's actually just one hole in the intertransverse space, and I inject about five five to ten cc's at the point of maximum dermatomal involvement, and I put like yeah five to ten cc's there, and I come out. Um, now I know Iwana Kostash re- reacted to our first podcast and said, "Well, if you're going to do a hybrid ESP, why not just do you know just do only ITP blocks or MTP blocks? Why do the two? Um, and it's mainly because. I want to keep a depot of local anesthetic in the erect spiny plane. I want to get that breadth of spread. But I know I really want it work specifically at one level. But yes, yeah, she, she raises a valid point. So I think ESP has a role, exactly as you say, probably as a plan C. Plan A, paravertebral. Plan B, pex, you know, parasternal to costal. And plan C, ESP. There we go. Okay, Jeff. I mean, I guess let's finish it, Finish up talking about awake mastectomy. So, you know, this is something that, you know, 
why do we learn all of these blocks? Well, because number one, we want to do the best for our patients, but actually it does also give us the options to do something different. So uh, I've got a specific uh, recipe for a weight mastectomy. I've kind of alluded to it. Let's hear it. Okay, you want to hear about it? I'm ready. Okay, so 95% of the success for a weight mastectomy is all to do with patient preparation. So we're going to imagine this patient is called Henrietta. <laughs> So Henrietta comes to her pre-op assessment clinic and she's got a whole host of medical issues and someone's identified that she is pretty high risk for general anesthesia. Uh, and so they just said, you know what, we have this option for you uh, and then you can avoid a general anesthetic and they go through the process, they consent her for the blocks, they explain the risk, they set her expectations so she knows what to expect because what we don't want to be doing is speaking to a patient on the morning of surgery and telling them we're not going to give them a general anesthetic for the first time. So patient preparation is key. We talk about the fact that they won't they don't have to be completely wide awake. We can use elements of sedation. We also ask them about music. Um, so we we use a lot of music and you know so they know what to expect. And actually that when I see patients in the morning of surgery before awake surgery, when they've been consented and prepared properly, I talk to them, they go, Yep. That's exactly what the doctor told me in the pre-assessment clinic. I know what to expect. Sure. So I see them in the morning of surgery. Yeah. Um, I, again, go through the process, talk about the risks, about the, the injections I'm going to do, and then we bring them into our anesthetic room or your block-holding bay. We make sure we keep them nice and warm. We check them in, check the correct site of surgery. Uh, and, of course, if you're doing blocks at the back, I need to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm blocking the correct side. And then I make sure I play some music for them. Oh. I get some music that they like. I like that. And I say, say what music do you like? I mean, the idea is just to drop that tension and that anxiety. We cannulate them, we make sure, and I use a small amount of midazolam. What do you guys call midazolam? Um, we call it midazolam. Okay, you, you don't, <laughs> don't you have one of those funny names like uh, relaxatrol? No. Or, or now I'm calling it relaxatrol. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Okay, okay so, so I tend to give them a, a little bit of midazolam uh, and fentanyl, and I do um, a multi-level paravertebral block. Now, get ready. I don't just use bupivacaine. Okay. I mix lidocaine with bupivacaine. <gasps> oh. Okay, so we're not going to talk about that now. All right, different episode. But I will work out the maximum allowable dose that I can give the patient of lidocaine with epinephrine, for example, uh, and I reduce that by 50%. And I do the same for the maximum allowable dose of bupivacaine. I reduce that by 50%. The workhorse of my technique is a paravertebral block. So I will do three to four paravertebral injections with three to five cc's of local anesthetic covering from probably t2 down to wherever i can get decent spread once i've done that uh, i lay the patient supine and i supplement so i do supplementary chest wall blocks especially if they're doing auxiliary no clearance and this is because i'm doing the belts and braces approach so i will add in a parasternal plus or minus interpectoral pectus serratus or serratus the idea is i do whatever local i've got left i dilute that down so i've got you know 10 to 15 cc's for the midline or for the parasternal blocks and the balance of volume about 20 to 30 cc's for the lateral component i do those blocks and then i wait no i never used to wait so actually when i'm good i do these fast actually it doesn't take me that long to do the blocks but i wait for the blocks to cook and i check them because actually it really makes a difference if you can demonstrate that difference to the patient before you go into theatre. Sure, yeah. I was caught out. I had to anaesthetise um, a member of staff once, and I did the block, uh, the blocks, and the and the, the patient said to me, uh, Amit, I don't feel any difference. And I said, just wait, just wait. And it wasn't until that particular patient was able to detect a difference, and she was using touch. She was like, oh, my goodness, it feels different. Okay, let's go. It wasn't until she was able to feel the difference that we went to theatre. Sure, yeah. Um, so you know, so making uh, making sure you've covered the full extent of the chest wall, making sure they're nice and numb. Then we go into theatre, we play music, we use a little bit more sedation. Sometimes I might use propofol sedation. Um, I've heard people use interruptive boluses of ketamine. Mm -hmm. We give supplementary oxygenation. We make sure we apply the, the drapes. Uh, we make sure the patient knows the drape's going to be close to the face so they don't get surprised and we lift them up out of the way. And it's all about being calm and, and communicative. You've got to make sure we communicate with the patients. And then last but not least, I want to make sure I have a plan for backup. What happens if the patient feels pain? 
Uh, do I have room for supplementary local anaesthetic? Uh, do I have, what rescue analgesic am I going to use? And I often use dilute doses of either opiate or ketamine. Uh, we have the ability to increase sedation. So it's kind of a multimodal thing. That's amazing, man. That That's a really comprehensive and thoughtful set of mm. steps that you've developed there. And I know you've got a lot of experience. So that's, uh, that's awesome. Uh, hey, I had a question for you. What's the concentration you're using with your mixture? So so again, depending on patient weight, but I usually use 0.5% levobupivacaine in the back okay. and then 1% or 2% lidocaine depending upon what how much weight allowance I have and how many blocks I'm going to do. Sure. If it's, a, if it's a lumpectomy, then I don't necessarily bother with the supplementary blocks and we can just work with just doing the paravertebral. Okay. Um, I know some people do these just under the fascial plane blocks, but I think the paravertebral is so predictable. That's why I like to do that. And do you, do you find that the... The addition of that dilute serratus saves you sometimes? I think, well, I'll tell you when it really made a difference. It really made a difference when I used to do a single level block in the paravertebral space. Uh-huh, sure. Because, of course, I'm, I'm hedging my bets. I'm hoping that the spread, you can often watch the spread in real time. But I think it saves me in a couple of situations. Sometimes when they bring the chest drain out and the chest drain comes out uh, or the, yep. you know, much uh-huh. lower than when you may, may be blocked. But I think it just, it, I think it is, I, we call it belts and braces. It's just doing that a little bit extra. Is it essential? I think probably as I get older and a bit, maybe a bit wiser, I, I might drop it in some circumstances. I don't do it for everyone. You're doing a ring block of the chest. Yeah, effectively. And you know what? There are some patients where we have no option to give a general anesthetic and in those cases where i really 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 don't want to give a ga i'll throw everything at there at, at it whereas actually where where yeah. you know where there's it wouldn't be disaster it's more patient preference well then you know we'll make a value call on that well that's great man i love to i love to hear that you do anything similar or just that's anything very different sort of sort of a lot of the initial steps you described are are, are common we'll do a pair vertebral at every okay. level so t two three four five six we use, um, we don't mix our local anesthetics. Different episode, we'll get into why that's extremely wrong to in, do. In, in your opinion. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Well, kidding, not kidding. Uh, no, we so we'll use a higher, a high concentration of typically the repivacaine yep. half percent or something similar. And then it depend if they're going to do muscular yes. work, so you know, modified radical mastectomy where they're going to be stripping the fascia mm-hmm. off the pec muscle or submuscular implant or tissue expander, I'll do a PEX yeah. one as well, or pecto interpectoral yeah. block. And if it's if it's awake, I'll still do that little yeah, L yeah. shape. So you're getting the supraclaviculars. Yeah. Yes, right on the clavicle and then down the side of the sternum just to get all that. But it's interesting about the serratus. That's um, I think maybe because we do every level. I think that I think that's probably yeah. Maybe the T two T three is is not as much of an issue. That may that may be well that may well be why. I mean the other thing we didn't mention that I think is worthwhile mentioning is every now and then. Patients start complaining of pain intraoperatively, but it's not due to the surgical site. It's due to the somebody leaning on an arm or leaning on a leg or doing something. And if you use, sure. use a bit of sedation, yeah. you don't necessarily get to, to identify that. So preparing the yeah. team as well for what you're doing is really important. So please yeah. remember the patient's awake. But yeah. Really important. Yeah. That's really interesting. Listen, you know, I've, as always, I learned a lot from uh, from this conversation, Jeff. So thank you so much for taking me through. Oh, that. me too. Yeah, thank you. That was that was great. Appreciate it. All right, man. I think we've pretty much covered it, eh? What do you think? Yeah, no, I think I think I'm sure that at least a couple of the things will generate some discussion. Maybe the symmetrization phrase, uh, <laughs> maybe relaxatrol. I, I I don't know, but I th- I think we've covered it all. We're all good, man. Well, why don't we wrap it up and um, give the listeners a chance to hit us up on social media if you have any thoughts or questions or concerns. Um, where can they find us? Okay, well, everybody, uh, you guys can find us at Twitter at at blockit underscore hot underscore pod uh, on YouTube at at blockit like it's hot. Uh, and on Instagram, where, what's the Instagram uh, tag, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, block <laughs> underscore, it underscore, like underscore, it's <laughs> underscore, hot. And don't forget the hashtag, hashtag block it like it's hot, no apostrophes, and get involved in the conversations. We'd love to hear from you. And if you are enjoying this show, it would be awesome if you could please rate us wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps to push the podcast to the top of the algorithm and uh, give other people who, who might enjoy it a chance to listen. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thanks so much for your support so far. So until next time, we hope you all block it like it's hot. It's hot.